0: Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. All right, we are in this series called Standing on a Firm Foundation. And our goal in this series is to explore what does it look like for us to navigate challenging seasons? Navigate hard times. We're going through a hard season as a church, and we felt like it would be great for us to address this collectively. Now, uh, one of the things we haven't yet really talked about is this idea or this concept, anxiety. We have not addressed that just yet, anxiety. What, What does it look like for us when we hit these moments to have anxiety come with it? So a few years ago, and I've shared this story, so if it sounds familiar, it is it is a repeat. But a few years ago, um, I experienced just a, a very acute window of anxiety um, where there was just several things that happened that really just stirred me. So um, our son Micah, he's the, our older son, he was having some issues. He had some blood in his urine. And so we had to take him to the doctor and like, all right, what's what's this all about? So we took him to the hospital, and they ran a bunch of tests. And it was one of those where it's like, well... We're going we're gonna to check, but it could be this, no big deal, or it could be something serious. So it was one of those, like, okay, you know, we got to kind of work this out and wait for test results. Well, around that same time, my wife had been having this pain that's kind of odd and, and persistent, come in and out, but it started to um, just happen more frequently. And it was around this time that we were having issues with Micah that she's like, man, this, this feels weird. I should go get it checked out. And it was a similar kind of thing, where she goes to the doctor and describes, and they run a few tests, and they're like, it's probably nothing, but it could be something. And so both of these things were happening at the same time. And as we're waiting for results and kind of, like, what's going to happen with all this, there was one day in particular that kind of just hit it for me, where another thing happened. So we were refinancing our home, and you got to do all the logistics for your bank and all that kind of stuff, and we ran a credit report. Well, an anomaly showed up on our credit report. Under my name, there was a $25,000 loan that had been taken out. And it was tied to our bank in Chatham where we lived. And it was taken out like 15 years ago. Or the, the account was open 15 years ago. I'm like, this is really bizarre. Now, in the moment, I wasn't thinking all of the things that probably were in play here. But I had this like, did I somehow take out a loan and not even realize it? Or did I do something like kind of crazy? And so literally, like, I'm, I'm just having this... Lord, what's happening? And I just had anxiety set in. Now I discovered this like at seven o'clock at night. So the bank is closed, and so like literally, I'm going all night, and I'm like, I don't know what's happening. And so that night, I was restless. I could hardly sleep. I was just thinking, like, ah, oh, what? What did I do, or what, did, what happened here? Because it didn't feel like fraud, even though it might have been like. It was too specific. It had all the right documentation. It was at my bank a long time ago. Like, this just wasn't adding up. Anxiety set in. And it's that feeling, that pit of your stomach, like your body reacts to it. Your heart rate increases. Your blood pressure goes up. And you just feel that tension, anxiety, that fear, that worry, that dread. Like, what's going to happen What do we do when we hit these kinds of moments? Now, just to finish out the story, Micah was fine. It was just a little bug that worked itself out, no big deal. And Jess's thing, they, they determined it was probably something tied to her pregnancy with Levi and the C-section, and it was probably no big deal, and it sure enough worked itself out. And with the, the credit thing, um, my dad had been a part of that account that we opened up, and he started using it for his business, so it was his money, and we took my name off of it, and no big deal. Like All these things ended up working out. But in the moment, you can probably imagine anxiety. Like I'm just, I'm feeling like what's gonna happen? And maybe you've experienced this too. I'm actually quite sure you have. Maybe you're a parent, you're a stay-at-home parent or or you're, you're a working parent, but you're like, you've got a house to manage. Kids are going every which direction, schedules are crazy, you're trying to keep the house clean and it's just like chaos and your anxiety. It rises. Or maybe you're trying to parent and, and just things aren't going well with your kids. And, and maybe there's some challenges at school and, and you don't know what to do about it. And, and you can't find a way forward. Or every day you go to work, you walk into your office and you just feel anxiety rise up in you. I mean, it's just persistent and you, it, you're, you're tense all the time. And you don't really let up until it's about 9 o'clock at night. And anxiety. Anxiety. Or maybe you're a student, and you're taking all these college prep classes, you're trying to get you know, everything lined up for your next step in life, and it's just like all of the pressure. You're in athletics, or you're in clubs, or you've got all these things, and you just feel like you've got too much to do. Anxiety. The last few years in our world has been some of the most anxiety-producing seasons of life. covid caused anxiety rates, trackable anxiety rates, to rise six times its normal average. Like we were in a pandemic that just shut everything down, that we didn't really know what was happening, and maybe you felt like, I don't know what this virus is going to do, and that caused the anxiety. Or the anxiety came because life is not as you expected, and it's all chaos, and you look at the politics of it, and it's just overwhelming. <laughs> anxiety is everywhere. What do we do about it? We're going to look at a text from the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to a church, and he specifically names anxiety. And he says for us not to have it. How do we not have anxiety, especially with all the stuff that we're facing? How do we not have anxiety? Well, Paul's going to give us a window into that. So I invite you, if you would, turn to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at what Paul has to say to us when we face these moments of anxiety. So Philippians chapter 4, we're looking at verses 4 through 7, just a short little chunk, but super dense. There's a lot here. So if you're not used to your Bible, like use your table of contents, totally okay, but it's in the back portion of the Bible. There's a whole bunch of small books that all kind of come together. Philippians is what we're looking for, the book of Philippians. So, Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again: rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we're looking at today. Now, here, Paul, he calls the, the Philippian church to not be anxious, to, to not have anxiety. Now, like, let's open this up and kind of understand what Paul is talking about. He starts out by saying, rejoice. And he says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And let your gentleness be evident to all. So now, Paul, he starts right out of the gate in our little text here by saying rejoice. But a little context for you. So he's writing to a church in Philippi. And this church is a a great church. There's so much good. But there's also challenge, both internal and external. See, the external challenge was there was a group of people who came from Jerusalem and said, no, 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 what you've been taught is wrong, and you need to do it this way. And they were called the Judaizers. And they were trying to get people to follow the law. But not only that... In town there, there was opposition. Like, there were some people who were kind of like, oh, I'm interested in this Jesus thing. And others were like, we want nothing to do with that. And there's opposition. There's persecution. And Paul is writing to them and saying, rejoice in the midst of that. And on top of that, Paul, he's writing, saying rejoice while he himself is in prison. He is right now under house arrest, awaiting trial for the name of Jesus. He could could be let off and things could go great, or he could be put to death, and he doesn't know how things are going to play out. And here he's saying, rejoice. We we looked at James 1 recently, and, and there James is also writing a very similar thing. He's like, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Like, how can these guys say these kinds of things? Like, what is it about this that allows them to say, like, let me point you, like, joy, yes. They're essentially saying the joy is the distinguishing mark of a Christian, of a person who follows Jesus, like, this should mark you. And they say it amidst opposition. But let me add one more thing. What does Paul then go on to say after this? He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now remember, there's external opposition to the Philippians. Like they're, they're hearing people come in and say, no, 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 it's got to be this way. And there's, there's oppression. And he's telling them, let your gentleness be evident to all, including them. Like why can he say this? Why does he call them to joy and to gentleness? Like what is it that Paul knows That leads him to say this. Why can he call them to this? It's by what he says next. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. He calls them to rejoice. He calls them to to have gentleness. And why? It's because the Lord is near. And maybe you picked up on this in this text. There's a lot of imperatives, commands, like do this, do this, do this. But there's two indicatives or statements. This is one of them. He says, The Lord is near. This is a statement of fact. The Lord is near. And Paul inserts this here intentionally. I'm calling to your joy, I'm calling you to gentleness. Why? Because the Lord is near. And the Lord, He is king, and He has authority. See, when Paul is saying this, he's bringing in his mind this idea that God is sovereign. Like everything that happens doesn't happen without his permission. Like he's got everything under control because he's king. He's king of the universe, he's got everything in his hands, and nothing is beyond him. The Lord is near. And so when he brings all this up, he's saying that Jesus is king and he's close, he's next to you. Now by him saying this also surfaces something related to anxiety that I think it's good for us to name. Because anxiety is often tied to control. Anxiety is often tied to control. Like if you go back to my story, if you bring up your own, like when anxiety comes, it's this threat that things aren't going to go as I expect. Like, I should be able to do X, Y, or Z to produce A, B, or C, right? Like, these are the kinds of things that that life is built on. Like, we're cause and effect. Like, we're able to do things. And anxiety comes in when things aren't as they should be. When we're out of control. When we don't have control. Like, when we lose control, anxiety sets in. And it's that feeling of like, oh man, I, like, I'm losing it. I, I, I'm like, I got to get my arms around it. And we just can't and, and, and we get tense. And we try harder and we strive. And anxiety is the threat. And things aren't going to work out the way that we want them to. Anxiety is tied to control. Now let me say something here. As we're talking about anxiety, we, we are talking about this feeling of, of overwhelmness, of, of not having control, like that fear, that dread. But there's a categorical difference that comes with clinical anxiety. And it's similar in that we feel like we're out of control. But there are some times when it is like overwhelming in our bodies, like there's just something else that's going on. So everything we're gonna talk about today has to do kind of with this former, like the everyday normal kind of anxiety. And it can feel overwhelming, but there's a there's a state of being of just like anxiety disorder that is this, it's this out-of-control feeling, but it is so much more. And what we have to say today, we'll speak to that, but it's not going to solve everything. We don't want to provide simple, simplistic answers to something that's very complex, but we'll get back to that in just a little bit. But it has to do, this whole thing, has to do with control. And what Paul is doing here by bringing about this idea that the Lord is near, he's allowing us to see That he's in control. He is the one who is in control. He's king. He has authority. He's demonstrated that. And he is near. He is close. He's not distant. He's not far away. But he's close. And so because that's true, because the Lord is near, because he is right next to us, We can be free of anxiety. We don't have to suffer under this uh, oppressive sort of state of being where it's like, I don't feel like I can make anything happen, and we get stuck. No, the Lord, he's near, and he casts out anxiety. How? How does that actually happen? Like, you might be like, yeah, I'm okay not being in control, but man, I don't like this anxiety feeling. Like, How do I get out of it? Like, the Lord's near. Okay, what does that mean? Or or what do I do? How does this help me? Let's keep reading and see what Paul says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. What Paul highlights is we're not to be anxious. The Lord is near, so don't be anxious. And by prayer, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul calls us to pray. He calls us to come before the Lord intentionally and to Pray. Now notice he's saying like by prayer and petition, and these are kind of synonymous terms, but it's like we're going to the Lord saying, Lord, this is happening to me, and I need you to do something about it. He's saying like, yes, present your requests to God. Come to him. He is king. He is in control. He has authority. So come to him because he can deal with it. He's reminding us, that God is sovereign, and that he's approachable. And he is at work. As we talked about with the book of Acts, how, how God is always working in the times of trouble, and he's working to bring about good. And I think Paul has this in mind. When we come to him, when we ask, like, Lord, I'm in a time of trouble, can you do something? He's gonna do something, and he's gonna do what's best. No matter how things play out, God is at work, bringing about what's best. And so in prayer, we come to him and say, God, here's what I want you to do. But the goal is not to get something to happen. Notice that Paul's saying by prayer and petition, but with thanksgiving. Like, he's offering something a little bit unique here. With thanksgiving. Because like, you know, James is telling us, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Okay, like rejoice and be gentle. Like Okay, come thankful. Really? (laughs) Like why would we do that? I think what Paul is pointing to is the fact that prayer is not about getting a certain end. Prayer is about changing ourselves. Prayer is an opportunity for us to come to the Lord and be transformed. See, what Paul is doing here is he's shifting perspective. When he says thanksgiving, we don't normally look at trials or challenges or anxiety as something to be thankful for. And right, you know, like, I don't want to be thankful for this. But what he's calling us to is to be thankful for how the Lord is at work. And there is a perspective shift. We're not to see our challenges or our trials merely as just hindrances and terrible things. They are, but rather opportunity as well. So come with thankfulness. Paul's pointing to a perspective shift. What happens in prayer is not so much that we get what we want, but we get what we need, which is a transformed heart. God is changing us. He's transforming us in prayer and so what we do is when we come in prayer we present our requests we we dialogue with the Lord we, we are engaging with him and then what do we do? we surrender so in prayer the change is happening instead of control and anxiety like trying to do it like this we release we let go and we open up There, there is where the Lord can step in as king and say, I've got it. And I'll do what's best. So be grateful for that. Step in with an attitude of surrender. This is what's happening to us in prayer. We are being changed. So we're to surrender outcomes. We're to surrender control. And we're to trust him because he's at work. And he's doing good. So if we're to do that, if we're to pray, we're to come with gratitude, we're to to offer up to the Lord like, okay, here's where I am. He's going to meet us. And what's going to happen? What's this result that comes? Like what are we actually going to get out of it? We'll keep reading. Verse 7. And the peace of God... Which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what's happening here is that we get another indicative, another statement of fact. Paul says, when you pray, God will give you peace. God will give you peace. And that's going to guard your hearts and your minds. And you can picture that, like someone standing guard at a sentry post or whatever, and it's like, I'm not letting anything in. Nothing is getting past me. That is what God's peace does. It guards our hearts and our minds. It protects all that's going on inside of us. There, his peace is acting like a shield. And that's what happens. So when we pray, when we come to him and we release control... God's peace steps in. Now, what Paul is building on is not just this idea of calm, because I'm wondering if that's the idea that you have in mind when you hear peace. It's like anxiety, it's like, oh, chaos, but calm, ah, yes, peace. Everything's good, like, yeah. And it is that, but it's more than that. He's building on an Old Testament concept. When you look in the Old Testament, you see this word peace. Often it's the Hebrew word shalom, Shalom is this rich, deep concept. It's not just the absence of chaos or war, but it's actually wholeness, harmony. Things are as they should be. That is shalom. Things are working. Things are in place. There is order and there's good. This is shalom. This is the way God designed the world. But shalom is broken. Human beings, we we decide we want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. And we break shalom. We break peace. Things are now chaos. That's why Jesus came. He came to bring about peace. He came to undo the power of chaos, the power of death, the power of sin. You see, sin is what causes chaos. It doesn't belong. It's, It's operating in the way the world is not meant to. And we do that choices we make, the ways that we choose to be, like we mess everything up. It causes chaos. It causes lack of peace. Jesus came to restore that. And he did it by going into the chaos, by submitting to the chaos, the chaos of death. He was put to death. And in that, he undid everything and put things back to the way they're supposed to be. And by his resurrection, everything is heading back that way towards shalom. This is what Paul has in mind, I think. When he's thinking about peace, he is thinking about calm, but he's got this rich idea of where we're headed. When we follow Jesus, when we begin walking towards him, the way history's gonna play out is towards shalom. That's the state of being that we get to enjoy. Right now we live in this tension of chaos and shalom. But what Paul is suggesting here is that when we turn our attention to the Lord, when we trust Him, when we align ourselves with Him, we get a foretaste of that. We get a little bit of heaven, a little bit of peace right here. And we can be in that calm and that contentment not in the anxious and and the turmoil that goes on inside of us, but rather we can sit in calm. This, this is the promise. This is what guards us. This is what keeps out the anxiety. This is what keeps out the turmoil. It is God's peace that he gives to us. So we need to release. Anxiety is often us like trying to hold on. We need to let go. But the challenge is it doesn't always make sense. Notice that, that Paul throws in this phrase here that transcends all understanding, this peace. It doesn't always make sense because a lot of times what we do when we pray and we say, all right, Lord, I'm in a time of anxiety, a time of challenge. Here's what I want you to do. And then it doesn't go that way. What God is wanting for us is what's best not simply to give us what we want, but what we need. And so sometimes this is going to transcend our understanding, our comprehension, the way things we expect to play out. And so if we're like, no, 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 this isn't the outcome that I wanted, God. Like, you need to do it differently. We actually haven't surrendered. The challenge here is to completely release our expectations, release the outcomes, Release how we think it should go. And rest in his control. In what he is doing. And trust him. So that's the message that I think we all need to hear. Now maybe for you, this is the first time you're hearing it. Or really, you're like, I don't know if I trust Jesus yet. That's okay. This is invitation. He's offering this to you. He's not going to force anything on you. He might give you a little taste of peace when you you, you operate that way, but he's asking you to release, to release control. And maybe you just need to do that for the very first time. Like, okay, I'm going to release. I'm going to surrender. I don't like it, but I'm going to give it a try. God will meet you in that. But truly surrendering is letting go of outcomes. And so whether it's the first time or the millionth time, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and like this is something we need to continually do. It is a continual process of release, of surrender, of letting go of outcomes. A story to illustrate this. um, I I love this story because it's so fascinating. Jesus is with his disciples. They've been ministering, and they decide they're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. So they get into a boat, and, and sure enough, they're rowing, and it's kind of late at night. So he, he's asleep in the back of the boat. And then a storm wells up. And the, some of these disciples, they're fishermen. They know how to sail. And, and you know what's happening? They're like, we're going to die. Like, these guys know what it's like to, to sail. And it's like, oh, this is just, no, no, no. This is, like, intense. Like, this is not okay. We're going to die. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the back of the boat. And they're like, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care that we're going to die, that we're going to drown? Like, what are you doing? Why is it that Jesus could be asleep in the back of the boat? A little speculation, but I think there's something to it. I think Jesus knows who he is. I think he knows his status. Because at his baptism, he went into some water. And what did he hear? This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This was proclaimed over him by the Father. He knows that he is loved. He knows that the Father will care for him. And he knows his purpose. Jesus knows that this is not what God wants for him. Now, he doesn't know how it's going to play out, though I think he does. But he's like, I'm at rest in who I am. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I know who I am. And he goes to the disciples like, let me show you who I am. Peace, be still, and the storm is calmed. Jesus can be asleep in the back of the boat because he is at rest in his identity. He is at rest in the Father. He knows who he is, and he trusts him. That is why Jesus can be asleep in the back of the boat. Now, don't hear that story and think, oh, okay, Jesus is going to calm the storms in my life. If you've heard that, that's wrong. He might sometimes. It's not a guarantee. It wasn't until the disciples were like, wake up, we're going to die. Let me show you who I am. If they hadn't said anything, I think Jesus would have kept sleeping. Like he would have stayed back there and like he knows that they're going to be okay. Jesus is not here to always calm the storms around us, to remove the chaos around us. What he is here to do is to calm the storm inside of us, to silence the turmoil inside, to take that anxiety and replace it with peace. Now, for any of you who might be facing chronic anxiety. Like you sense you might have an anxiety disorder. This is not simply just like, I want to be in control. Like This is like, I am overwhelmed by life and I don't know why. Jesus can still bring healing. He may not calm the storm, but he wants to work in your life. And he can do that. He can do that through prayer. He can do that through the power of the Spirit. And he can do that through doctors and medicine. And sometimes it is good for us to get the extra help that we need. So don't hear like, oh, Jesus is just going to make it all better. Just believe more. Like Sometimes our faith moves us to go seek help from avenues that God has provided. But God wants to address it. He wants to work. He wants to meet us in these moments of chaos. Not to remove the chaos, but to calm the chaos inside of us. This is what he wants to do. So God, God will guard us with his peace. He's going to guard us with his peace. This is a promise that if we surrender, if we come to him and trust him, he wants to do this. Let me kind of capture this with another illustration. So, I'm a runner, maybe you know that. Um, Boston, the Boston Marathon. It's probably the most famous marathon. You probably have heard of it. I don't know how well you know it and are familiar with it, but there is a particular stretch of this race that's called Heartbreak Hill. Heartbreak Hill is about 20 miles into the race. Now, Boston um, is a very hilly course, and it's a straight, like, straight line from one place to another. It's not a loop. It's not a circle. Like, you start in one place, and you end up in another. And that is a progression for about half the race downward. So like a half marathon, you're running a lot of downhill. It's a lot of this, but it's mostly downhill. And you get about halfway, and you're at the bottom, the lowest elevation you're going to be, and then you start climbing back up. And so from about miles 16 or 17 through about 21, you hit a series of hills. These are called the Newton Hills. That's the town that it's in. And it's a series of four hills that you climb. Now, um, when I lived out in Boston, we were out there for seminary. My buddy, Paul, he came and ran the Boston Marathon. Now, this was the first time I had ever been there to watch it and to be a part of it. And so I hadn't run the course. But what I decided to do was I jumped in the race with him at about mile 16. Now, you're not supposed to do this, but people do it, and they kind of or whatever. But, like, I ran with him for a while just to encourage him and to be there. And so what I did was I ran these hills with him. And I, you know, as we got to mile marker 20, I'm like, okay, heartbreak's coming, heartbreak's coming. And, sh- like, surely we reached mile 21. I'm like, wait, where was it? And I just realized we just had climbed Heartbreak Hill. And I was kind of like, oh, well, that wasn't that bad. Like, I'm like, that was, you know, I, I've, I've been on harder hills than that. I've been in races with a lot more climbing. Like, I was like, that's it? Then I look at my buddy Paul. He's run 20 miles at this point. And he gets to the top of heartbreak and he's like, ugh. And that's where he needed the encouragement. Now, about marathons. There's this kind of saying, there's two parts to a marathon. The first half, the first 20 miles. And the second half, the last six. Heartbreak Hill comes right at that moment. And the reason it's called Heartbreak is this is where your marathon dreams are dashed. Like you get up to that, you get up that hill, you finally crest it, and you look and you can see Boston. And it's still six miles away. And that moment comes where you're just like, am I going to make it? I'm tired. I'm worn out. I've done 20 miles already. And then I climb these hills that weren't really that bad, but like they feel like it. And I still have so far to go. It's that moment where you realize it's actually about perspective. You see, I didn't do the work that Paul had done, so I was in a very different state. But like climbing that hill, I was like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Like I was able to see it apart from everything else. Whereas Paul, he's running this and it's like, oh, this is climbing, this is hard and I'm tired and I still have more to go. Until you get to the finish line. You finally go past the sit-go sign. You make the turn. You get to Boylston, and then you're almost to the finish line. And when you cross it, you finish. And you look back, and you're like, that hurt, and it was terrible, but I finished. It's about perspective. What God does when we hit this heartbreak hill kind of moment When we're like, we've run so far, we've done so much, and we still have so far to go. He meets us in that moment, and he reminds us of perspective. That's what God's peace can do. We begin to see differently. So when you hit these moments of anxiety, God's peace will guard you. It will give you perspective. It will remind you of the end game. Where are we going? God will reign. That's where it's headed. And that's what he wants to remind us. So, this is his promise. And so what I want to do is just kind of capture this in a little bit of application here for you. Like, what are we to do? How are we to actually, like, live in this? What does it look like for us to do this? So, a couple of things. And really, it's boiled down to one idea. Pray. Pray pray. But it's not just simply pray and and then everything's going to be all better. But like what we're to do is we're to present to God where we are. So the first part of that is identify the anxiety. Here's what's causing the anxiety. And if you can even go a little deeper, it's like, here's why it's causing me anxiety. Say that to God. He knows it already, but it's not about him. It's about you. Say to him, Here's what's causing me anxiety. Here's where I'm troubled. Here's where I'm not okay. So it's me, a couple of years ago, I was like, Lord, all of this is happening. Is my son going to be okay? Is my wife going to be okay? Are we going to be in more debt? Like, this is causing me anxiety. And the Lord is there with you. He is near. Present what we ask of him. Lord, I'd love for you to do something about that. But then we surrender control. This is the work that prayer is going to do for us. We surrender control. We let go. No longer trying to bring about our ends, try to operate in anxiety, but we release. We surrender. And that's when peace, the reminder that God is in control, the reminder that he's working towards the specific ends, shalom and wholeness, we get a taste of that. And calm can set in. Now, it may not always feel that way. You might still feel anxiety. Your heart rate might still be up. You might still be tense. Breath. That is a physical reminder of God's peace coming in. Allow that to wash over you. Step into the calmness that God is offering. Allow peace to set in. And what will come is joy. Gentleness. No longer will we lash out or respond harshly, but like gentleness, rejoicing, because we know where it's going. We have perspective. Now, it's really easy for me to say all this. It's really easy for me to kind of tell you, and like, oh, now go do it, and everything's going to be better. It's not like that. Remember Jesus in the back of the boat. Like, sometimes the storm is going to continue to swirl, It doesn't feel like things are all better. But we're called to shift our mindset. To look differently and see God is in control. And we begin the process of surrender. He'll meet us in that because he is near. So, bottom line for today. And here's kind of what I want you to leave with. Prayer casts out anxiety. And God gives us peace. What Paul is talking about, he's saying rejoice and let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. He is near. And because he's near, we can be free of anxiety. We can cast it off by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. We come to him in prayer. And his peace will rest on us. We will be different because we've been changed by him little by little. Church family, the world is in chaos. Anxiety is everywhere. People feel it. I mean, social media is one of the biggest triggers. Like, you scroll through and you just walk away, and it's like, I feel more anxious than when I started five minutes ago. Imagine if we are a people who walk in with calm and with peace, free from anxiety. People are like, what is with that? It's because we have Jesus, the light of the world. The calmer of storms, the one who brings about shalom. We have him. They can have him too. And we can be a beacon for them. So, church family, step into this. When you feel anxiety, when you feel that overwhelming sense come over you, go to your knees and surrender in prayer. Let go of expectations, let go of outcomes. And there your anxiety will begin to move away. It's not going to always go away. The feeling might still be there, but we now will be stepping in to his peace. This is his promise. Prayer casts out anxiety, and God will give us his peace.